You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Father in heaven, again, we pray and say amen to everything that Alex has prayed. And in this moment, uh, again, I want to ask for your help. And I want to ask, Father, that you would, in this moment, strengthen me by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen. All right, so last week we finished up chapter 1, and Pastor Joe gave us some insights uh, into how the Apostle Paul cared for Timothy, and he showed us four lessons there at the end of chapter 1 that, that really we can apply to how we care for others. This was a, um, these, these are lessons that are, are very practical and helpful, and I think they're lessons that are uh, important for for really our life together as a church. These are, are lessons I think that could shape the way we think about life groups. We, we want all the members of our church to have the kind of care that we see between Paul and Timothy there in chapter 1. So that was last week with Pastor Joe. And the reason, one reason, at least I mention that now, is because today I want to do something a little bit different. Okay, so last week, Pastor Joe, in his exposition, he expanded the application of the passage really for every Christian. It was really for everyone. And today what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to focus in on the particular relationship that we find here, and it's that Paul is exhorting Timothy, his spiritual son, as a pastor. Okay, so much of what Paul says in First and Second Timothy and in Titus called the pastoral epistles, so much of what he says, it really does apply to, to all Christians everywhere. It does. But his original intention, it really is to speak to pastors and to speak to, to those who pastors would influence to become pastors in the future. We see that in chapter 2. And so what I'd like to do in this sermon is to just follow Paul's intention there. Now, I realize that that most of us in the, in the room here, most of us who are listening, you're, we're, we're not pastors, right? So how is this going to work, preaching a sermon for pastors that's, that's for people who are not pastors? Well, this is a little principle that I just want us to nail down when it comes to how we think about sermons and how we hear sermons. It, it goes like this. So um, a sermon, doesn't, it doesn't have to be about you in order to be relevant for you, okay? In the church, we are all different parts of the body, right? There's the head and the feet and there's the eye and there's the hand. And it is good if you're a hand to hear about the eye, all right? It is a good thing for, for the hand to hear instructions for the eye because we're still the same body, right? Like we're all in this together. And so in the same way, it's good. It is a good thing for all the parts, all the members of the church to hear exhortations to pastors. And if that wasn't the case, this book would not be in the New Testament, okay? We are given this book, which is for Timothy, the pastor, and it's relevant for all of us. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Paul is saying to Timothy, the pastor, and when we do this, we're going to see three things that really every pastor must do. And I want you to know, I'm going to try to say these as narrowly and particular as Paul intends it. Okay? Just 
most every sermon, we're going to always try to broaden the application. Today, I'm going to try to like hone in and sharpen what I say here to be specifically for pastors because I just want to follow the grammar here of the text. And, and here's the first thing that we see. And you'll, you'll get what I'm, what I'm doing here. Here's number one. Pastors must be strengthened by Jesus to stick with Paul. Pastors must be strengthened by Jesus to stick with Paul. This is verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And right away, man, this sounds like something that we need all the time. We need this for everything we do. Is there anything in life that we want to try to do without the strength of the grace in Jesus. And we say, no way. Like, we need this all the time. We need to be strengthened by grace to get up in the morning. We need to be strengthened by grace to get the kids to school on time. We need to be strengthened by grace um, to be here in this moment. I need to be strengthened by grace to preach this sermon, which is why I just prayed that God would strengthen me by his grace. We need to be strengthened by grace all the time, okay, all the time. And while that's true, I, I, I don't want us to miss what Paul is actually talking about here. Because here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, verse 1, this strengthening by grace specifically has to do with perseverance as a pastor. If Timothy, the pastor, is going to last as a pastor, he is going to need this strengthening. And we know this because of what Paul has just said at the end of chapter 1. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul mentions some names. He first, he, he mentions these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And these two guys are representative of many more. And he says that, that his ministry partners, all of Asia, all of his ministry partners in Asia, including even Phygelus and Hermogenes, they have turned away from him. They have abandoned him. But on the other hand, in verse 16, there's Anesiphorus, and Anesiphorus has stuck with Paul. Anesiphorus has encouraged Paul intangibly and tangibly. And the big thing here is that he was not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. And this is the part that's important, okay? Anesiphorus is set in contrast to Phygelus and Hermogenes. Those two guys and the others with them in Asia had abandoned Paul. But Anesiphorus stuck with Paul. And the main indicator of whether you abandon him or stick with him had to do with your response to his imprisonment. Because by the time we get to 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul has become an extremely controversial figure, not just among the religious leaders of the day, but he was a problem at this point for the Roman Empire. We see this actually way back in Acts chapter 17. It was said of Paul that he was turning the world upside down and that he was acting against the decrees of Caesar by saying that there is another king, Jesus. That's why Paul is put in prison. And see, what happened is that Paul had numerous ministry partners, and they're all with him, and they're agreeing with him, and they're all preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. But when Paul started to get heat from Rome, when, when, when Rome came and they started to punish Paul and imprison Paul, they backed off. They backed away. Paul's ministry partners feared the consequences of their association with him. So basically what you have here is you have Phygelus and Hermogenes. They choose peace with the state over standing with Paul. 
They, they choose to avoid the risk of ridicule rather than assist the ministry of God's messenger. But see, Nesiphorus is different. And Nesiphorus said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sticking with Paul. I'm sticking with Paul even though I know what's at stake. And so Paul tells Timothy, look, this is what Phygelus and Hermogenes and the others did. This is what they did. And this is what Nesiphorus did. So you then, Timothy, you, Timothy, you, you, my child, my spiritual son, you, Timothy, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus to be like Nesiphorus. Stick with me. Stay with me. Don't leave me. That's what Paul's saying here in chapter 2. This passage and this entire book is very practically about sticking with Paul, which actually becomes the test of perseverance. Okay? See, we should understand that we're not, we're not talking about sticking with Paul because Paul needs friends, okay? This is, this is about faithfulness to the gospel because Paul is an apostle of Jesus for the nations and he speaks with the authority of Jesus. And so sticking with Paul actually means sticking with Jesus, which is why this is why Paul so often in his letters talks about imitation. He tells the Philippians in Philippians 3, 17, join in imitating me. Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And when Paul says these things, there's no question in his mind what he means. He wants the churches and his ministry partners and Timothy, the pastor, he wants them to imitate him in how he imitates Jesus, which is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is about Paul, but then it's not really about Paul. This is really about Jesus. And therefore, to, to distance yourself from Paul is to distance yourself from Jesus. Paul actually says in Philippians 3, he says that the alternative to imitating him is to walk as an enemy of the cross. To abandon the apostle Paul is to fall away from the faith. That's the issue here. That's the issue. And so when Paul exhorts Timothy to stick with him, he's exhorting Timothy to persevere in faithfulness. That was the case way back then, and that's actually still the case today when we read this letter, we read this book. This is the case still today in America because today pastors still today all across this country pastors are pressured to back away from Paul. And the risk for pastors of course today it's not Roman imprisonment. The pastors know sticking with Paul is going to cost you something. So the strengthening that Timothy needed way back then is the same strengthening that pastors need today. And this strengthening, Paul says in verse 1, is by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now this is the only time this exact phrase is used in the New Testament. But every time we see the word grace, 
this, this phrase is always the reality behind it. All the grace that we ever experience in the Christian life is grace in Jesus. It is grace that saves. It is grace that strengthens. And it is so much grace in Jesus that Paul could say it is like Jesus himself who is doing the strengthening. Which is exactly what Paul does say later in this letter. 2 Timothy 4.17, my favorite verse in this book. He says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord strengthened me. Pastors must be strengthened by Jesus to stick with Paul. Number two, pastors must train elder qualified men to stick with Paul. This is verse two. Now, part of the same strength that pastors need to stick with Paul includes strength to follow Paul in his multiplication strategy. That's what we find here in verse 2. Verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it goes from Paul to Timothy, and then from Timothy to faithful men, and the faithful men to those who are able to teach others, and then those who are able to teach others will, of course, teach others, right? This just keeps going. This sort of thing just keeps going. It's a very good strategy. At one level here, this practical wisdom we see here applies to all kinds of things. This is a multiplication strategy. It's how it works. But as Christians now, we know... We, we know, we know that, that this is really just the basic idea behind discipleship, right? We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And, and the longer you do that, the longer you make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, it has this exponential effect. We also, just you know, we also, we think this way about church planting because we at, at City Church, we want to plant churches who plant churches who plant churches. And, and this is the strategy that we have because this will yield greater numbers over time. And greater numbers over time will yield more impact. And more impact means your kingdom come, your will be done here on this earth just as it is in heaven. This kind of multiplication, this kind of strategy, it can, it will change a city. And there's wisdom here. There's wisdom here we could use for all kinds of things. This wisdom... So relevant for all kinds of stuff related to the Christian life, especially discipleship. And yet, in this particular instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul is telling Timothy, a pastor, to train up other pastors. I just, I just want you to see this. I know this is a verse that we are familiar with probably. I just want you to, to see here, just, just hone in and look what he's saying. There are two things we've got to track with here, okay? First is the who and then the what. First is who are the faithful men, okay? Who are the faithful men? Paul says, entrust to faithful men. Now, what does that mean? Well, look, it could, be, it could be broad. This could be broad. If the word faithful here meant believing, and if men here meant mankind, then Paul could be saying, entrust to Christians, which would mean every Christian. He, he, maybe he's saying, entrust to, to every Christian. But, but Paul is being more specific here. Timothy is supposed to train men. Okay, straight down the middle, biologically male, legit, real, true men. He's talking about men, just men. 
That's what the, that's what the word men means here, okay? He's talking about actual men. And these men, these men are men who should be faithful. Now, the word faithful here, I think, is a shorthand way of referring to all the character qualifications necessary for eldership that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 3. Okay? And, and this is specifically, I think, here about elders because of this able-to-teach condition that he mentions. Paul is talking here about men who are faithful who can teach. And, and men who are faithful who can teach are the only candidates qualified for the office of elder. So this verse is about training up pastors. Now we can apply it to other things, but Paul is talking about training up pastors. That is explicitly who he's talking about in 2 Timothy 2.2. And implicitly, I believe, he's talking about church planting. Because all of these pastors that Timothy trains up, they're, they're not going to all be in the same local church, but they're going to start new churches. Just like we see in Titus 1, when Paul tells Titus to go and appoint elders in every town. Paul is talking about pastors who have been trained and appointed to lead new congregations in the same geographic area. And you guys know the vision of City Church, y'all know this, the vision of our church is to plant more churches like ours in the Twin Cities. Okay? I, I want you to know that's our vision because it is deeply biblical. The, the main reason we want to plant churches is because we want to be faithful to Scripture. It's because we believe the Bible. We want to do what Paul does. And that brings us to the what in verse 2. The what. The who is men who are faithful, who can teach. Okay? Paul's talking about elder qualified men. But, but what exactly is Timothy supposed to entrust to these elder qualified men? Well, Paul says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So then what is that? What has Timothy heard from Paul? So go back to chapter 1, verse 13. Paul uses, this, he uses the same phrase there that about, about hearing from him. And there he says, this hearing from him is the, the pattern of sound words. That's what Timothy heard, the pattern of sound words. And it would make sense for us that Paul is talking about the same thing here in chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2, as he did in chapter 1, verse 13. But then, okay, we have to ask, what, what is the pattern? pattern of sound words. If that's what he's talking about, what is this pattern of sound words? And this could either be something basic or something particular. And I think it is something particular. Because when it, com when it, when it comes to what Timothy has heard from Paul, Paul is not talking here about the bare minimum of gospel orthodoxy. Now there's a place for that, okay? We have 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 6, where Paul gives us the, the most basic of first importance pieces of the gospel. That exists, okay? But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about more than that. What Timothy has heard from Paul is the gospel and all of his instructions that pertain to the church 
and how church members should treat one another and how to pursue godliness and how unconditional election humbles us and what is necessary to be an elder or a deacon and how do we shut down false doctrine and what sins should we especially beware for ourselves and for others and how should we think about money and hope and works and wisdom. All these things are what Timothy has heard from Paul. We have it in the letters. Just read the letters. That's what Timothy has heard from Paul, and that's what Timothy is supposed to entrust all of these elder qualified men. We're talking about Paul the whole hog. All right. That's the what? It's Paul the whole hog. It's all of Paul's teaching, which means it's Paul the Calvinist. It's Paul the complementarian. And this is why at Cities Church, we're only going to raise up pastors and send out churches that embrace the whole hog. That's what Paul's talking about here. We want to stick with Paul all the way down. At every point, we want to stick with the Apostle Paul and we want to plant churches who do the same. So pastors must train elder qualified men to stick with Paul. Third thing here, pastors must expect hardship if they stick with Paul. This is verse 3. Paul tells Timothy again there, share in suffering. This is really the primary charge of the letter. This is the the bread and butter of perseverance. He told Timothy in chapter 1 verse 8, share in suffering. He says says to expect the same thing in chapter 3 verse 12 and chapter 4 verse 5. He mentions his own suffering in 1.12 and 2.9 and 3.11. Suffering, hardship, difficulty should be no surprise to Timothy or to the elder qualified men he trains in the example of Paul. And the mention here in verse 3 actually ties this passage back to the end of chapter 1. Because the theme here, the theme here in chapter 2 is still about perseverance. It's still about sticking with Paul. We're still talking about why pastors need to be strengthened by Jesus. Because the vocation is hard. And it's hard in a similar way to three other vocations. That of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Paul commends these vocations as models for pastors to learn from. And the main model here is a soldier because Paul literally says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then Paul expands the image of a soldier in verse 4. He gives the image of an athlete in verse 5. Then the image of a farmer in verse 6. And then in verse 7, Paul says, think over what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And Paul, when he says that in verse 7, specifically, he's talking about what he has just been saying. Think over, Timothy, what I'm saying about these vocations. Meditate on these images and you'll get what I mean because Jesus will help you. So we say, okay, we want to do that, Paul. So let's start here with what these images have in common. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer walk into a bar. And we realize that each of these vocations require discipline in order to receive the reward. That's the macro lesson here, okay? Discipline or enduring hardship is necessary to receive the reward, and the reward makes the discipline worth it. 
That's what each of these images have in common. But now notice their particular angles, okay? The disciplined soldier is undistracted by civilian pursuits because that's required to receive the reward of pleasing his commander. The disciplined athlete competes according to the rules because that's required to receive the reward of a crown. The disciplined farmer works hard Because that's what's required to receive the reward of sharing in the crops. Think over what I'm saying, Paul says. Think over what I'm saying. So, okay, Paul. So so sticking with you, Paul, sticking with you, persevering and entrusting your teaching to to elder qualified men. Okay, that's, that's not going to be easy. That's going to be hard. And I need to expect that. I need to lean into that. And I need to learn here. I need to learn, like a good soldier, pastors should refuse to be distracted by the normal affairs of everyday life. Like a, like a winning athlete, pastors should refuse to compromise their integrity. Like a hardworking farmer, pastors should refuse to slack. And pastors should refuse each of these things, even though it's easier not to refuse them. This is another part that these things have in common here. The, the particular angles of discipline that Paul commends each have alternatives that will sidestep the suffering. It's easier. It's easier for pastors to give themselves to things that will make them a little more money. It's easier for pastors to let off on the godliness. It's easier for pastors to cut corners on the sermon. There are easier alternatives out there that will ensure less hardship, but also no reward. Now, the topic of rewards, it is not simple. The topic of, of the Bible's teaching on rewards, is we don't have time to look at it in details, but I just want to be clear that, that rewards are part of the Christian's future, Christian. Rewards are part of your future. Paul says that every person must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand there, we will receive rewards from Jesus based upon our actions. And and we see in 1 Corinthians 3 that if, if our actions stand the test, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that Jesus will reward us for them. Again, there's a lot of details here to unpack. We don't have time now. But I think one of the most important things about rewards is how relevant they are for our imagination now. The fact, the fact of heavenly rewards from Jesus helps us to remember that Jesus is real. Think about this. Think about this. You, right now, like right now I'm talking to every Christian, okay? You, you are going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to look at you. And you're going to look at him. 
That's going to happen one day. You're going to stand before Jesus and you're both going to look at each other, Christian pastor. You're going to see him. And this was a great motivation for Paul. This is why in 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, no matter what, our, our aim is to please Jesus. We just want to please him. I just want to please Jesus. Why? Because, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the moment that stays on the mind of the Apostle Paul and drives him in ministry. And we need pastors who stick with Paul who think the same way. We need pastors who know that one day they will look at Jesus and Jesus will look at them. And that moment is going to make all the hardship worth it. And the only way we make it now actually is to know the promise of that moment, is to remember, is to remember Jesus Christ, the real person risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in Paul's gospel. It's not easy. It's not easy. Paul said, look, it's not easy, Timothy. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So, to all the pastors out there and to all the people who have pastors, stick with Paul. Stick with the Apostle Paul because Paul points us to Jesus. And that's what brings us now to the table. What turned the world upside down back in the book of Acts? It was not Paul, okay? It was the good news that Paul preached. It was the, the, it was the good news that guilty sinners can be reconciled to a holy God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that truth is as true right now as ever before. And so if you're here this morning, if you're listening out in the courtyard, if you're watching from the live stream, I want you to know right now you can be forgiven for your sins. You can be declared righteous before God. You can be brought into a new relationship with God and with the people of God if you put your faith in Jesus. So right now, I want to invite you, if you have not trusted in Jesus, turn from your sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right now, trust in Jesus and be saved. And if you're here, you have trusted in Jesus. If you're united to Jesus by faith, this table is where we remember his gospel and it's where we give him thanks. The bread here represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the shed blood of Jesus. And when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we are proclaiming that our hope is in Jesus alone. It's our hope. That's what this table is for. And first we do this for the covenant members of Cities Church, but if you're here and you trust in Jesus, we want to invite you to also eat and drink with us. And what we'll do, the pastors will come and serve it. You can just put your hand out like that to let us know you want it, and then we will uh, very safely drop it into the palm of your hand, okay? So the body of Jesus is the true bread, and the blood of Jesus is the true drink. Let us serve you.